The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to them, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. The Gospel of the Lord. Please have a seat. All the great experiences of life, freedom, encounter, love, death, are worked out in the silent turbulence of an impoverished spirit. A gentleness comes over us when we confront such decisive moments. We are quietly but deeply moved by a mature encounter. We become suddenly humble when we are overtaken by love. When Luke sent me the readings for this service, I was taken by their disquieting nature, seeming no loopholes to enter the kingdom of heaven. Give all your money to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the sharing of his sufferings. For gold is tested in fire, and those found acceptable in the furnace of humiliation. I consulted with uh, Brother Robert James. He said, yeah, he thought they were a little tough too. (laughs) So I wrote to Luke, who was in South Africa by then, and I asked him simply, why did you choose these particular readings? And he wrote back, and he's given me permission to quote him, The first reading from Sirach helps me face the reality that monastic life for the service of God is not a bed of roses. It requires perseverance. It assures me that I will be tested but upheld by God. 
If I fall, it suggests I fall in the Lord's hands because his mercy is similar to his majesty. The second reading in the gospel remind me that discipline and sacrifice are required in the life I have chosen, he said. But there is a price or a reward in this present life and in the age to come. Please let me know if I need to say more. It was helpful. Thank you. It was so helpful that it brought to mind a small book, only 52 pages, authored, I believe, in the 1960s by Johann Baptiste Metz, called Poverty of Spirit. I first read that little gem of a book during my college years, and it had a profound impact on me and my life's choices. So let me read one more passage. We cannot rest content in ourselves, in the elements and experience of our life to which we give meaning. We do not find satisfying light and protective security. We only find these things in the intangible mystery that overshadows our heart from the first day of our life, awakening questions and wonderment and luring us beyond ourselves. We surrender ourselves to this mystery as a person in love surrenders to the mystery of the beloved and there finds rest. Reminds me of Augustine's great quote, O Lord, our hearts will always be restless until they rest in thee. Poverty of spirit isn't mentioned in the threefold Benedictine vow, but I think it might suggest the heart of it. I know I'm being presumptuous here, but I think it might. So let's take a look at today's gospel passage and then compare it to another. It's a familiar story, the one we've heard, and it's in all three synoptic gospels. The rich man, he may have been young, some say he is, some don't mention that, wants to qualify for an early admittance to the reign of God. I mean, that's good. Jesus rattles off some of the commandments that he needs to obey for that to happen, and the young man, of course, he wouldn't have come with the question if he didn't have the answer. Of course, he's obeyed all of them. Is there anything else? Go and sell all you have, give the proceeds to the poor, and come follow me. And as we know, the man, young or not, walks away because he had many possessions. He wasn't ready yet to surrender himself as a person in love surrenders to the mystery of the beloved and there finds rest. It wasn't yet his time. Now, as I read that, reading, and this is part of what really bugged me while I was praying with this reading, is I knew something was missing. There's something missing from this reading. Okay, it's in all three synoptics, so I went to another, and it was the same, the same as I had already read. But then I went to Mark. Now, just as an aside, 
Brother Luke has given me a nickname, and it's Old Woman. (laughs) And I own it. I am. To my chagrin. But I haven't completely lost my memory. And when I read the passage from Luke, it had this line that had been missing. The young man asked the question. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Matthew and Luke omit this crucial line. Now, their accounts were written after Mark's. And I'm wondering if the fledgling church had already begun to close the circle. There were those who were outside, and there were those who were inside. No need to mention that Jesus loved this guy who walked away. All the great experiences of life, freedom, and counter-love death are worked out in the silent turbulence of an impoverished spirit. A gentleness comes over us when we confront such decisive moments. We are quietly but deeply moved by a mature encounter. We become suddenly humble when we are overtaken by love. The young man had not yet acknowledged his poverty of spirit. Right? He had not acknowledged it. He wasn't sufficiently open to go beyond the rules of religion that conveniently enclose us in the answers we think are necessary, but also which shield our hearts from conversion. So there's another gospel story. This time it's told through art. It's another mystery of encounter story, and it has a different ending. For me, anyway, I often need to visualize what I'm hearing or what I'm reading. I'm a visual person, and you all know that. I've photographed all of you. (laughs) I have to to see it. I sort of have to see how is it playing out. Can I see the movements? It's like Vignation, too. Can I see the movements of the people in the story? What's the weather? All of that. So the story I'm thinking of, is the, uh, thinking of is the miraculous catch of fish that's found early in Luke's gospel, and it's a call story. Jesus is going to call Simon and Andrew and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, right? So Jesus has been preaching by the Sea of Galilee, and the crowds have grown immense. And so he goes down near these two boats that filled with fishermen who have been fishing all night, but now they're just cleaning their nets, biding their time, waiting to go home so they can try again the next night. When Jesus is finished talking to the crowd, he mysteriously goes to Simon, he's not yet Peter, goes to Simon and says, you know what, I'm going to get into your boat I need you to cast off a little ways, and I will finish. I will actually say a few more words to the crowd, and then we'll see what happens. Okay, what have I got to lose, right? Okay. So Jesus gets in the boat, and both boats, fishermen in both boats, they cast off a little way, and when Jesus finishes his 
conversation with the crowd, Jesus says to them, go out deeper. You're going to catch fish. Now they know there are no fish to be caught. They know what they're doing. They're experts at fishing. What does Jesus know? But something tells them, do it anyway. Go out there. And so they do go out. They cast their nets. And there's this great catch of fish, right? It's a great story. Even with the taxes that will have to be paid to the authorities once they drag those fish back, even with those terrible taxes, they will still have enough food to feed their families and probably have something left over for another day. And so it's a great day for them. This is a gift that they could not have imagined. It's the most wonderful gift. And it's a good thing. It's a very good thing. They're right to rejoice. They're right now to be interested in this man. But I want to tell you the story in a depiction. The uh, Renaissance artist Raphael drew a series of cartoons that were then to become tapestries that were then to hang in the Sistine Chapel. One of the cartoons is the miraculous catch of fish. And it's by studying that cartoon that I understood more. I didn't get it from the words. So in Raphael, the cartoon in particular, not so much the tapestry that came later, but in the cartoon, there are the two boats, and they are of shallow draft, and they are filled with fish. And you almost can see the movement of the fish flapping about, and there's all kinds of fish. Some of them look like, you know, dory or Peter fish, and some of them look downright scary. But there they are. They're all in the boat. And the guys in the other boat, they are looking over the side. They are trying to haul in the catch of fish. You can see in the cartoon that as they're looking at the fish, this wonderful gift, they also see their own reflection. So they see themselves as well as the fish. Meanwhile, in the other boat, which is also full of fish and has Simon in it, and Andrew, even though he's not actually in this story, but it's okay, and Simon has made a 180 turn. He's no longer looking at the fish. He's on his knees, and he's looking at Jesus, and he's beseeching him. Lord, depart. I am a sinful man. And maybe he was. But I often think that we confuse sin for something else. And turning away from the gift of fish and turning to the giver, Jesus, Simon is overcome by his own inner poverty. That realization, that moment or moments in life when we know we're not in control. That I don't know everything that I don't know the number of the hairs on my head. 
So Simon looks at Jesus, and having turned away from the image of himself and the image or the actual fish, he's given a new reflection. He looks at Christ because now he is in that mystery that we often talk about. He, is now, he has now found his life in Christ. And that's his new identity, and that's why the name changed to Peter. And his job will be to catch people, not fish. It's a beautiful moment. We are quietly but deeply moved by a mature encounter. We become suddenly humble when we are overtaken by love. We're here today because at some point or at several points along the way, Luke was quietly and perhaps not so quietly moved by a deep and mature encounter. Luke, your community here and in Africa has helped you to weigh the maturity of your experience with your desire to open your heart more and more to the giver of all good gifts. This monastic life, this fellowship of prayer and hospitality is only possible when you are overtaken by love, right? We know that. It's hard to live with other people. Hard and to live and work with the same people. You have been overtaken by love. The gifts of life have pointed you to the giver. Sometimes the gifts of life point us to other things, but in this story, in this reality, the gifts of life have pointed you to the giver. And I think that qualifies as conversion to the monastic way of life. Not that we're rating anything. I know that you understand how slippery the way can be. In today's gospel, you decided to add some verses. You could have left it where it was with the young man going away, but no, Simon or Peter, after his call to leave everything and follow Jesus, has demonstrated that even having had the great experience, sometimes that experience fades, and our hearts can sometimes just close up a bit more. So Peter and the other 11 are watching the encounter with the rich man. All fine. The guy goes. That's good. He didn't deserve to be with us anyway. And Jesus says, you know, it's easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven or something, something to that effect. And now Peter, it's not in this reading, but I found it in another one. Peter's ears perk up. Wait, wait, wait. What about us? What do we get? Right? Haven't we all said, what do we get? I've been really good. And Jesus rattles off in kind of a Joe Black way. All these things, you'll get more wives, more children, more blah, 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 when the kingdom comes. But Jesus often, when he 
makes these pronouncements, and he does it several times, he always inserts somewhere in there with the extra lands and the wealth and the cattle and persecutions. You'll get persecutions. Just to remind us, as you said, it's not always a bed of roses. Hmm. Look around. If you look around, you see the faces of your brothers, the ones you're called to live with, the ones you share stability of place, or at least a couple of places with. A commitment not to run away when it gets hard. A commitment not to run away even if it gets incredibly good. Because that also can be a temptation. When I was ordained to the priesthood 39 years ago, Alan Jones was the preacher. And I don't remember anything of the sermon except for the last part. The last part, he said this. He said, quoting an old, dead French cardinal, the church is ordaining you because it can't trust you to be a layperson. <laughs> I still don't know what that means. Maybe some of you do, and you will help me out later on. But the next thing he said rang true. He said, Janet, we're here tonight because we are acknowledging that you are already a priest in the church of God. And we're here today or tonight to affirm it. The bishops laying out of hands and the community assenting, agreeing. Yep, this is a good thing. Let's do this. Luke, you've been coming to the threefold vow that you'll make today for many years. You've come from Kenya, for Pete's sakes, to West Park and back and forth to South Africa. And we're here because we all know that you are living that threefold vow, that you are a monk. And it will be affirmed and prayed over and celebrated because there is joy that Luke has come to this conversion of heart and mind and soul. And we all know, because we all know from our own lives, that more conversion and more backsliding lies ahead as we surrender ourselves in love, in mystery of the beloved and their fond love. That all encompasses.